Hello, my name is Gary. And my name is Simon. And this is episode 17 of EV Musings, a podcast about electric vehicles and things that are interesting to electric vehicle owners. On our podcast today, something a little bit different, we'll be talking about a couple of different topics that are relevant to the EV world. Our feature topic today is not one topic, but several. Usually we just focus on one item in particular and talk in detail about that. But today I wanted to talk about three topics in the EV space. And these are last mile deliveries, vehicle to grid, and I'll say it very quietly, hydrogen <laughs> power. Uh, usually, witchcraft. <laughs> witchcraft. Uh, usually we structure these discussions quite closely with a little bit of a script and some research, but today I wanted to leave it pretty much free form. So here goes. Let's see uh, see what we get out of this. Last mile deliveries. Simon, what does last mile deliveries mean? So last mile delivery in uh, in my eyes and, and probably a lot of people is things like postman or parcel deliveries or uh, short delivery times from depot to delivery point. So prime example would be, let's say, UPS or other parcel delivery companies are available, of course. But essentially what they do is they go from their depot when they're filled up the van and they go around each people's houses within a given area for, for their delivery, deliver all their parcels and go home. Now, generally, that's not a big circumference of mileage. It's usually within an X amount of space. So last mile deliveries for EVs just is a logical decision because it's not a high mileage job and it's perfectly suited to electric vehicles and uh, makes it cheaper and cleaner. Okay, so we, you know, we're mm. talking about stop-start usage of vehicles. So obviously you've got the benefit of uh, not putting any... A particular matter out because you're continually stopping and starting a vehicle you don't have any strain on the batteries on the, yeah. the 12 volt batteries because it doesn't have to turn over a, an engine uh so it, it's quieter it's smoother it's cheaper so you know those are the benefits what are the problems with this kind of setup though so so with these um i suppose you've got to bear in mind like like an ev owner or a new ev owner they would have had a nice car, or in this case, a nice van, for probably a, a, a good period of time. Most delivery companies and people of that nature will have bought a fleet of delivery trucks and would probably you know, get as much life out of those as possible and obviously be reluctant to then have to spend a vast sum of money. So the initial upfront cost for an EV fleet, if you're going to replace the lot, is going to be quite high. If you maybe ease them in, that that will be better, you know. As a, as 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 the vans kind of, I suppose, become problematic or a point where they're they're due to go back to whatever higher company. But yeah, the initial the initial higher cost is probably one of the uh, the key ones uh, for uh, for that, and that may stop some of the delivery companies uh, coming into that. Now, the associated thing that goes with that is the underlying infrastructure. So. You know, mm. if I if I take the example of the company that generally comes and delivers around here, which is uh, the infamous white vans DPD, they seem to be up and down my road um, two or three times a day. They will all come from a specific depot. I think the nearest one to me is somewhere over Reading Way. Now, the issue that a mm. company is going to have if they want to go to electric is they have to have a way of physically charging up the fleet. So let's assume DPD have... 20 vans that are at that uh, particular depot. Yeah. The two options are they go out and use public charging. And in that particular area, as you and I know, because that's 
that's where you, I first uh, met you, isn't it, in Reading? <laughs> there are quite a few yes, uh, fast chargers out there which they can use. But in the big scheme yeah. of things, a company like DPD or an Amazon or a UPS, they're going to want to have their own infrastructure on site. And, and yeah. that's where you start yeah. to get another cost that's associated with, with this, which is you've got to be able to put the chargers in and they've got to be sufficiently powerful to deal with the whole of the uh, the fleet that needs to be powered up every night. So that's not cheap. No, it's not cheap. I mean, my, uh, I suppose the way I would see it, and again, this is still not a cheap option, but like I said, if you've got 20 vans, put 23 to 7 kilowatt charge points in your depot. Now, obviously, that comes associated with initial upfront cost, then is generally offsetted against over the course of X amount of years. There's still the power consumption to be um, done. You know, is the building sufficient to be able to, cope with those do they need additional electrical works to do that infrastructure but that that would generally be i'd I'd hate to see last mile delivery trucks rocking up at every like fast charger and stuff and literally taking over the network of of reading and and and, and other places like that but um, a disaster that would be wouldn't it oh it'll be shocking it's like yeah we'll we'll do last mile delivery yeah you won't be able to reuse any public charger now (laughs) back in the day when i used to be a milk uh milkman and drive my very first electric car, which was an electric milk float. We literally came, we uh, we we come back from a deliver, our deliveries, we'd all plug in, and bear in mind these were massive lithium acid battery type stuff, and we'd, we'd plug them in at night, and there'd be 20 or 30 of these things at, at a peak, and we'd come in in the morning and they'd all be charged. So it's, it's no different, it's just that back then, that particular thing was made for that purpose so they started with electric milk floats and they had the infrastructure there as part of that and unfortunately there's going to be an initial outlaying cost for people to go electric but you should really start to see you know there should be i suppose government incentives to make sure that they can do this cheaper you know if they're generally Mm -hmm. going to push in that direction which is the right thing to do there should be an incentive to do that I agree. The other thing, the, the flip side to this is, of course, yes, you've got a fairly high upfront cost, but what you're offsetting that against is the fact that you're not spending a lot of money on fuel or diesel, in which is generally the uh, the thing that the people at like DPD and Amazon use. So mm. what you would have spent on diesel to keep a fleet running to do all that mileage, you're now spending on ele- uh, electric, which is going to be a lot, lot cheaper. Yeah. And because you're in a vehicle which has, you know, two moving parts rather than 230 moving parts, the maintenance costs for that are going to be a lot lower. So there's an offset uh, at that level as well. So yes, there yeah. is a big upfront cost, but over a medium to, over a short to medium term, that then gets offset with the savings that you make as a result of going electric. Yeah, indeed. indeed. So what sort of vehicles are we specifically talking about when we uh, talk about last mile deliveries? Uh, I suppose like we mentioned before, you know, mostly, you know, what comes to mind is post vans, delivery vans. But, you know, the other things are things like inner city taxis, uh, but also cargo bikes, which are now in place in certain countries. So short distances, delivery, stop start nature that you would see, like you said, you know, you see DPD going up and down own your van you know a couple of times a day generally he'll be doing that in every single street or most streets in Reading. and one of the things that this brings into especially uh, especially if you look at inner big cities like london and specifically amsterdam is something that that's starting to take off in the industry which is 
e-cargo bikes. And the benefit of those, I mean, basically what you're looking at is a, a normal, well, quote unquote, a normal electric bike that has either a, a small trailer on the back or an attachment on the front that allows them to take quite a large amount of uh, the smaller type of packages. And they're, they're all, I don't know, 10, 15, 20 kilowatt or maybe even smaller batteries but they have the advantage of being able to weave in and out of stationary traffic. And in places like uh, Amsterdam, for uh, for instance, they've done tests. And because of the way Amsterdam is laid out, you can actually get a delivery from point A to point B in Amsterdam in about five minutes in an e-cargo bike <laughs> versus 19 minutes using the normal road routes on a, you know, a van or a, a small truck or something like that. So not right. only do you have the cost saving, you also have the time saving as well. And the environmental saving as well, not a dirty diesel spewing out. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. It goes without saying. So I think we're all we're of the opinion that last mile deliveries are a, a good thing. We want yeah. to see more of them. Um, there are There's a prime opportunity. Who did I read recently who've just decided they're in this space and they've decided to totally go... Um, I think UPS electric. are definitely going that way. They've they've ordered a, a vast number of electric vans, for, mm-hmm. the, which replace their kind of current brown vans that they they have. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I'm sure I heard uh, Royal Mail are going that way as well. Yes, that's that's the person the the mm. organisation I'd definitely like to see uh, embracing this because yeah. you know they deliver literally to everybody in the country. You know, they've already got uh, cycles out there. I know not not to my particular area, but um, in the adjacent area, because it's a little bit more compact, they do deliver on uh, on bikes. So that's a prime opportunity to uh, to put an e-bike in there. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, uh, one of the things, just touching on the Royal Mail thing, I mean, we used to have a guy on a bike that delivered our, our mail. Now you have a van turn up outside, like for instance, our block of flats. And they'll get out and and then deliver letters, and you're like, that's a missed opportunity. You know, it, may, it must be costing a fortune just to stop starting a in a diesel or a petrol van. I want to move on now and talk about uh, something which has a lot of potential, is starting to get rolled out, uh, but still has a way to go, and that is uh, V to G or vehicle to grid. So. Just to frame this uh, from a background point of view, the current electric grid can cope with the the potential increase in charging of a large-scale rollout of electric vehicles. But there will need to be, and this is something National Grid themselves have uh, told us, there will need to be a way of balancing the need or the the draw on the electric grid, on the national grid. Um, In other words, making sure that rather than everybody wanting to charge during the day when the demand is high, that we get some sort of balance and some sort of levelling so that it comes sort of fairly level across the whole of the the day and the night. Um, One way of actually, one obvious solution for this is battery storage. You take the power which is generated when the demand is low and you store it, and then you can use it when the demand is high. Uh, The problem at the moment, and this will change, but at the moment the problem is that battery storage is still relatively expensive. As people like Bobby Llewellyn uh, have pointed out on numerous occasions, with the fact that we have an increasing number of electric vehicles on the road, 
we've now got loads and loads of batteries that people have already bought and they're sitting in people's driveways for quite a lot of the time. So why not use those batteries for vehicle to grid? So how feasible is this? What's what's the current state on this, Simon? I was quite lucky to uh, one of my um, Twitter and YouTube followers. He um, he invited me around to have a have a look at his vehicle to grid I suppose, kit, um, and, I, and I will be going back for a, a follow up um, episode on that. But it's basically run by Ovo Energy. They basically put a trial together for vehicle vehicle to grid. Now this. It should be known that this only works at the moment with Nissan Leafs and Chadamo connectivity. It was it was really good, and I, I kind of came in a little bit skeptical, I suppose, because like I've like you, I've always heard of you know you have you know solar panels, a big battery somewhere in the house, and then that does you know pretty much everything. It does your car, does your house, and, and everything else. And this was this was different. So this basically he had um, he had. I don't think he had any solar panels. Um, he had his a Nissan Leaf electric car, so it's one of the new uh, new models. He had his charge point for his car, and inside uh, the uh, the garage, he had essentially a, a very small box on the wall, a, a app and a another box, and then they had to do some electrical kind of work at the house. And essentially, what what happens is that. He comes in. He obviously, you know, plug, plugs his car in overnight or during the day, whenever it is. Um, and what happens is that, you know, when when that demand is high, your battery of your car is essentially your your battery for your house. So you set that the the kind of percentage that you want to use or you're comfortable with using via the app. You um, then can dis- determine what you'll take from the grid, and you can determine um, how much you have left in the car for. You know, if you want to basically just get in it and drive. You know, he's he's a retiree, so um, you know, he's at that point where he's probably gonna be plugged in probably more so than, than most people. But the principle is is the same. You know, we already know that a vast majority of people during the day their their cars are just sitting there doing nothing. So you've got like you said, you've got these potentially have all these battery operated cars. Um, that could be plugged in and utilised for your house. He he said to me, he said, um, I think it was one Sunday he'd had, you know, they'd obviously you know, cooked the Sunday lunch and used all electric on that. He'd, um, they, you know, they'd filled all their hot water. They'd done this, that and the other. Powered the whole house with energy to spare. And then the excess that they weren't using, they pushed back up to the grid. And he, I think last month he said he makes about £60 back selling, essentially, your energy back that you don't use. And I'm kind of looking at it. And I'm, I'm thinking this this should be more difficult than it sounds. Um, mm. But but you know with this little box on the wall and his connector in his car and you know you you essentially just got to forget that that car is a car. It's just a battery with wheels, and it's no different to having a battery in your garage like a Tesla powered or whatever it may be. Um, and through the the genius of these apps, you can basically set where you want the energy. And the fact that it's not only powering your house, but making you money as well. It's absolute genius. It is. And my first question when it came up on that is, how is this costed? So, I mean, obviously there's going to be, well, for the trial, maybe not. But when this goes uh, widespread, there's going to be a cost to have the kit put in. Because, mm. you know, for all intents and purposes, it's almost like having an extra charger for yes. your vehicle, isn't it? So there's going to be a cost associated with that. And that that's fair enough. But you talk about selling it back to... The grid is there the equivalent of a feeding tariff the way it was they used to be with solar panels. Um, I think so. He didn't. He didn't necessarily go into like the the actual 
costs of it as much. All he did say is that one month he got sixty pound back for the for the uh, energy essentially selling back to the grid. Now here's here's the uh, this is my background in internal auditing coming out. You know what's <laughs> what's the way of uh, of gaming the system here? And the the first yeah. thing that jumped out, and I've had somebody actually mention this to me, is there are a lot of a lot of locations in the country at the moment that still provide free. EV charging. So you go to, yeah. you know, Podpoint and places like some of the Tesco uh, places. So if you've got one of those that's close to you, you go out, you spend an hour on a charger there, charge your battery up, head back, plug it in, sell that electricity back to the grid, <laughs> <laughs> and you're making money on it. Yeah, yeah, I mean, you can imagine that could be, that's your just your daily job. It's just like, what, what did you do? I went to Tesco's at like 12 times in a day. <laughs> Just to sell the the energy back. That, that's your retirement. Brilliant. You know. uh, now <laughs> the the other issue, obviously, with this is at the moment, as you mentioned, the trials and the technology that are currently in place are focused very much towards the Chadmo charging standard. Yeah. I was listening to one of the fully charged live conference, uh, the the talks there, and the mm. guy from Holland, I forget his name. We'll put it in the links was saying that he runs a load of, I think it's Renault Zoe's as uh, sort of like hire cars in presumably Amsterdam or somewhere like that. And they've managed to get some AC versions of this. Right. Okay. So, yeah. So they've they've now managed to get AC uh, set up to do vehicle to grid. So that has a lot of potential as well uh, if it is decided that they're not going to go ahead with CCS uh, yeah. charging why why they wouldn't i don't know there could be technical issues as to why that can't happen or it may be that yeah. on the current version of ccs that's not going to happen but in future it may be but can you imagine if you know every because you know every car can use ac so you know you put one of those in and rather than using the chadamo protocol to go back and forth it will use the ac protocol to go back and forth so yeah that's another barrier that's been broken down to stop this uh, getting more widespread uptake. Yeah, I mean, I can I can certainly see if Ovo's doing it, I can just see so many other companies jumping on this. As we start to build more new houses, this mm. should come in as standard. So oh, you yeah, get solar panels good. and you get a vehicle-to-grid uh, charger built in on all new... I was going to say all new houses, all new dwellings, definitely all new houses where mm. uh, you have the ability to... Um, have an allocated parking space. I think that should be something that comes to standard. Yeah, definitely. Okay. Right. Our final topic for today is one which I know on the Twitters has <laughs> divided uh, the Twitter community. There's those who support it, and then there's basically everybody else. We're talking about hydrogen power, or particularly uh fc evs fuel cell mm. electric vehicles As i say it does tend to be very polarizing on uh forums and twitter streams there are currently a number of manufacturers i'm saying a number i can only think of one off the top of my head uh the to toyota mirai is it yeah i think so there's okay. not many is there and there are even fewer fueling stations around the world quite a lot of them are based down in california you know, it's it's very easy to dismiss it because, mm. yeah, there aren't many cars and there aren't many fueling stations and et cetera, et cetera. But you've, you know, you put yourself back five, six, seven years looking at electric vehicles 
Yeah. And yeah, they were expensive and there weren't many on the market and there weren't many charges. And look how that's come forward. Yeah, you, you kind of took the words right out of my mouth for that. That was exactly what I was going to say is that, you know, you, you look at the way that this is being treated now. And, you know, I, I'm i not against it. I'm not for it. it, it it's, it's new. You know, it's something different. And we had exactly that. You're right. We had the exact same thing with electric cars. You know, if it clearly worked for some people, but it just wouldn't have worked for me at, at that time. And I, I think if this does take off, it will be exactly the same. I, I, I don't know. I'm skeptical just because of the nature of it um, and the complications in it. I think hydrogen for powering vehicles is a good thing. I don't necessarily think it's a good thing for personal use. Yeah, like big big vehicles like buses and big buses lorries and lorries and, and things like that. Yes. Yeah, uh, yeah. Let, let's just go through a couple of pros and cons mm. as to you know why we think it might not be good for uh, you know an, a household vehicle, um, you know a family car, for example. The pros, uh, as far as I can see, for hydrogen is obviously it's quick to refuel. It takes yeah. about the same length of time as. Uh, refueling a fossil fuel car at the moment and the infrastructure can be put in place where we have the existing fuel stations at the moment not necessarily all of them and there is a cost associated with that but you don't necessarily have to go and produce or find a whole new type of infrastructure location to put these in you can go into you know bp can use them shell can use them Esso can use them they can put as they've done in certain locations, you can put uh, a hydrogen fuel tank in and people can fill up in exactly the same way as they fill up their uh, fossil fuel cars at the moment. Now, yeah. the cons to it, uh, as with fossil fuel, is actually quite a dangerous liquid. It needs to be kept under extremely high pressure, which in, in itself has implications for the design, the engineering um, the containment uh, of the pressurized stuff. Currently, in order to produce hydrogen, you need to use fossil fuels to actually do whatever process. Um, a lot of it comes from um, splitting water, basically, into hydrogen and, and oxygen and then taking the hydrogen off. But they do that using a lot of fossil fuels. Now, that's something which I think as we... Get go forward and the amount of renewable energy that is in the grid, as that increases, I think that the usage of fossil fuels for creating hydrogen will decrease. I don't yeah. know whether it will go down to zero, but I think it will definitely decrease. So I'm not, I'll, I'll put that in the cons column, but I'm quite happy to say over time that, that won't be a, a con. Mm. The other uh, one of the cons is it's not actually a very energy-dense type of uh, product if you compare the amount of energy you can get out of you know a notional gallon of fuel and then the same amount of energy you can get out of a notional gallon of hydrogen it's nowhere near as good hmm. and you still need to have a battery in the yes. car for the fuel cell to actually power up so that you can actually turn the uh, the engine so yeah. you know in the big scheme of things you've got something that's dangerous from a fuel point of view, you've got something that uses fossil fuels to create it. You've got the need to have quite energy, quite a lot of it to get the same amount of power as you would out of a battery. And you still need a battery at the end of the day. 
so there's quite a lot of cons and not a huge amount of pros. But when you take that up to an industrial level, so you're looking at heavy goods vehicles and buses and coaches and ferries and things like that. Yeah, yeah, it makes sense. It becomes a different thing because you would get dedicated hydrogen locations feeding those rather than needing public infrastructure. Yeah, if you're coming, you know, like let's take ferries, for example, you're coming into a, a port uh, and while they're doing the, the turnaround in, you know, whatever they're doing with people or cars or whatever it may be, then they'll be fueling up with uh, with that stuff at the port. I, I had a thought that why people think that uh, hydrogen is so clean is probably because when they're using the fossil fuels, they're probably using that clean coal stuff. Um, ah, Trump's that, famous clean coal, yes. So so that's got to be the reason why people like it so much. Joking aside, the <laughs> one, one of the things I didn't actually put down as a pro is obviously when you burn hydrogen, mm. the byproduct is water. Yeah. So literally, that's all that comes out the back of the uh, tailpipe. Should yeah. We say. So it's emission-wise, it's it's good. It's good if you don't count the emissions needed to create the actual hydrogen itself. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. And I think that's I think that's where a lot of the uh, I suppose the I don't want to say spin because that's that's the wrong word, but that's where the um, the advertisement comes for 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 hydrogen. In that you know they always focus on that zero tailpipe benefit. Mm-hmm. Um, and like you said, the, the, it's not the stuff behind it. Now, obviously, you know, we've had the same conversations around EVs, but the amount that EVs use in comparison is very minimal. But yeah, but I mean, the the, con, the first two cons for me, you know, dangerous liquid needs to be kept under high pressure. Those those two things <laughs> in, instantly raise uh, alarm bells. Well, that's right. I, I know that in the US particularly, they have had... A couple of issues over the last few weeks with hydrogen. I think somebody will correct me on this, obviously, but California ran out of hydrogen for three weeks. Yeah. yeah. They had no deliveries to any hydrogen uh, stations for about three weeks. When they did get deliveries, uh, I've seen one picture of, I think it was either six or seven Toyota Marais waiting to queue. Yeah. Now you imagine (laughs) three minutes per, per refuel. And did I not hear somewhere that you then have to wait a few minutes for the actual pump itself to reset or to repressurize or something like that? So it's three minutes between each pumps. (laughs) What you think about it, you know, you've got six of those at six minutes. That's 36 minutes. You can charge up an EV. (laughs) About 20 minutes. Uh, Yeah. It's ridiculous. And did I not also read that Toyota is selling off Marais and they're giving... $15,000 $15,000 worth of hydrogen for free on a twenty dollars or $25,000 second-hand car? So that, so they're really behind the product is, is basically what how we say it. You know, it's like they, they love it so much, they're giving you money. <laughs> yes. So it doesn't look good at the moment for hydrogen. But as I say, I'm, I'm willing to sort of take a step back and go, yes, yeah. at the moment there are issues. At the moment... Things don't necessarily look good. At the moment, there are still people pushing hydrogen hmm. for family cars. I don't necessarily think it will get there. I mean, there's, no, there is the very famous infographic that keeps going out, which shows that, you know, for every kilowatt of power that you put in to an electric vehicle, what percentage of it actually ends up being used versus the same thing for hydrogen. And it's something like 86% ends up being used in the EV and 
13% ends up being used in the fuel cell because of the losses in making the hydrogen and storing the hydrogen and pumping the hydrogen and then turning it into electricity, etc. Yes, so you know, it's, it's a very inefficient process. But as I've said a couple of times already, I think when you start to look at wholesale usage of it for mass transit, mm. I think there's definitely a market there in the future. And I think that's a good point to finish up and move on. So let's wrap up by seeing if there's some cool EV or renewable thing you've come across that we can share with our listeners. So, yeah, his uh, his mine is a new house. Have you moved house? No. Oh. <laughs> Unfortunately not. <laughs> I'm still in the flat. And I, st- I still have to um, put the cable down the third floor uh, for that to charge my car. <laughs> <laughs> this this is something actually was uh, was really interesting. I was I was I came across it. It's one. It's a new house, and it's a new house that produces more energy than it actually consumes, meaning that it's actually carbon neutral. So this was done by recent um, development in Australia by a company called, and I think it's called In Habitat. They produced their first refabricated house, which utilizes solar efficiency, as as you know we we know and love at the moment as well, but as well as all the appliances that are efficient, as well as appliances that use rainwater. So that mm-hmm. deals with all of your kind of water supplies and it gets reused and, and uh, filtered and everything else. The, the the actual product itself or the house itself is, is you know, made out of recycled materials and stuff. So the whole house is essentially self-contained and off-grid. Check out the link in our, you know, details below. But it the house shows what's possible and not just sticking to the normal right we need to build it with bricks we need to put this kind of gas boiler in we need to you know not put solar panels on there we need to not put the vehicle to grid stuff in there and but it's all the other stuff that you are starting to see pop up with new startup companies and startup companies that are building these type of houses and making that a self-sufficient green carbon neutral house it's it's not just slam anything in it's and actually, a lot of the houses are, you know, cheaper than what you would pay for a proper house over here. I'm very much in favour of these, and I would love to have one myself. One of the things that I have noticed about a lot of the examples that I've seen is they all tend to be, and again, correct me if I'm wrong, they all tend to be predominantly in warm areas. And yes. if you're going off grid... That's obviously the best place to go. (laughs) What you don't want to do is to be off-grid and having to heat a house in somewhere like northern Canada or, you know, some of the American Midwest states where it drops down to very, very cold in winter. Yes, obviously, they do build houses like this in places like Sweden, as you just said, Scandinavian countries, using uh, eco-materials, uh, and green building standards, etc. But I'm not totally sure a lot of those are 100% no, off-grid. But it's something I would like to see, definitely. Mm-hmm. It'd be good to see some of these manufacturers say, right, we're building a house, but we're building a house as, as green as we possibly can. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and it, okay, you might not get zero, but you could probably get reasonably close even in this country. And that's very, very admirable. Mm. My cool thing is the new Polestar EV. It's made by Volvo, um, or the EV offshoot, which uh, Volvo purchased. And the configurator went live recently. And the one thing I like about it, and it was mentioned by our friend Rob, who tweeted Mm -hmm. about this, is that it's moved away from the Model 3 approach of, of 
removing everything from the dash and cabin <laughs> and sticking it on the screen. And it's gone back to a more traditional analogue touchy-feely buttons, which I, for one, really like. You in the, the buttons. I know, I know. <laughs> The new EV itself, the Polestar, it's looking as if it's coming out with specs of a 78 kilowatt hour battery with 150 kilowatt charging, WLTP 275 mile range. What I do quite like about it is it has personalized driver recognition via your phone. So when you climb in, it recognizes who you are, sets up your seat and your steering wheel and your rear view mirrors and everything just right for you and yep. we're looking at a price ballpark 60,000 euros so uh, we've got a link to the configurator in the uh, notes so have a look at that i really like the look of this car to be honest i think um it's the best thing to come out of volvo for years and it looks like they've they've taken it really seriously well i say they've taken it seriously they've, they're putting a lot of investment and work into the ev itself the car looks amazing. The, the way I see it, it, kind of there's a there's a, a little vibe of muscle car in there, but there's mm-hmm. also like a a kind of a modern, I want to say corporate car, but like you know a a business type car. Indeed, indeed. Before we go, I do have a clarification and uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, not an apology, but we made a mistake. In our recent episode about the I-Pace itself, we said that the I-Pace was the first Jaguar, to be, the first EV built by Jaguar in the UK. Patrolman Phil, Phil Cartwright, has uh, sent us a Twitter a tweet to say, actually, it's not built by Jaguar. It's built in Austria by a third-party company called Magna. So I'd just like to put that clarification out. We were wrong and we're going to own up to it. Put my hand up and go, yeah, we're bad. Thank you, uh, Phil, for sending that through to us. And as promised, there's the clarification for you. And that is our show for today. Hope you enjoyed listening to it. If you want to contact us, Simon is at... The EV side on Twitter and YouTube. And I'm the real Gary C on Twitter. If you want to contact us on Twitter, use either of those or our own EV Musings Twitter account, which is at Musings EV. Don't ask why it's that way around. Just just don't. If you're wanting a quick reference ebook to read on your Kindle, I wrote something called So You've Gone Electric. It's available on Amazon Worldwide for the measly sum of 99p or equivalent, and it's a great little introduction to living with an electric car. Links for everything we've talked about in the podcast today are in the description. And if you enjoy this podcast, please subscribe. We're available on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Please leave a review as it makes us feel loved. And if you could grab somebody else's phone and subscribe them to the podcast, we would appreciate that. Thanks for listening. Bye.